Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. Hard to believe this is week six of our sermon series, Did God Really Say? For six weeks, we have been going through these promises that God has given us. We started week one in Romans 7, and then everything else has been a deep dive into these individual promises that God has given us in Romans 8. Um, And so we've, we've hit some good ones, right? And then last week, we talked about specifically about hope, about the promise that God gives us of hope, that God really does say the best is yet to come, But we've got to be careful because we can't twist that into meaning the best is yet to come here on this earth, right? If we make that what the promise is, the best is yet to come, life's going to get better. Number one, it might not, and we're going to be severely disappointed. But number two, we severely downplay what heaven is going to be like, what being in God's presence is going to be like. Because y'all, you know, I mean, I've been guilty of saying it, right? You take a bite of that ice cream on a hot day. Oh, this is heavenly. Y'all, I sure hope not. Because if that's all God's got is a flavor of an ice cream that tastes particularly good on a hot day, come on now, right? We, we, we do this. We don't mean to. It's not, we're not ill-intentioned in it, but, but we do this, right? We downplay the glory of God by talking about things on earth that are heavenly, Oh, this is like heaven. Oh, this feels heavenly. Oh, this, right? But when we get to heaven, we're going to realize all of this was like a nightmare. For, for children of God, even the good stuff was like a nightmare, right? That's how good God's glory is going to be, y'all. So when God, when Paul, through the Holy Spirit, tells us the best is yet to come, he's talking about heaven, He's talking about being in God's presence, being in the presence of Jesus Christ, being in a place where the Holy Spirit doesn't have to hold back anymore, right? The Holy Spirit's given us all of him. And that is going to be the most glorious thing any of us could ever experience. Now today, we turn the page. Don't really turn the page. I guess it depends on what your Bible's set up like. But we move on to the next step of Romans 8, and we ask the question, Did God really say that he'll pray for us? Isn't that so sweet? It's not that kind of pray for us. But can I I poke the bear just a little bit here? You know, we've gone through these promises, and, you know, depending on where you're at in life, I'm sure some of them have hit a little different than others, right? But we've gone through some big promises, right? Romans 8 is just full of big promises. So then we get to this promise. And can I be honest with you? When I read this, God says he'll pray for me. My knee-jerk reaction is kind of like, eh. Eh. Anyone else? God, I kind of know how to pray, (laughs) right? Sharing my, barring all, showing God my soul, like sharing him. Look, I'm a good complainer. You can talk to my wife. I'm really good at complaining. 
So if, I mean, if that's prayer, you know, just sharing with God what I feel, I got that down. I don't really need help, God. Thanks. But if we lean into it, I think we will discover that this might be one of the most important promises that Scripture has to offer us. They're all important. But this is vital. And we're going to dig into it here, and I'll, I told you all this last week a little bit when we talked about the sermon series in general, but this God took me on complete 90-degree turn on this one, somewhere that I was not expecting to go when I thought God said he'll pray for us. And this also isn't. Now listen, we could go to passages of Scripture that tell us that Jesus intercedes on our behalf, right? This is not one of them. We're not talking about God prays for us as in, oh, bless your heart, God's going to pray for you. Right? It's not that Jesus isn't up there in heaven giving us the false consolation that we as Christians love to give others. Uh-huh. Right? Oh, I'll pray for you. And we have absolutely no intention on A, praying for them, and B, doing anything to tangibly help that person. Stop using prayer as an excuse to not do anything. That was free. That was side note. But that's not what this verse is about. This is literally God saying, you don't know how to pray, chump, so I'm going to pray for you. But we'll get there. And why do we need God to pray for us? Because number one, our weakness. And our weakness should be evident to us, especially when we pray. But number two, there is such a thing as a perfect prayer. And God has offered us the ability to pray that perfect prayer. If we'll let him. We ready? Only two points today. That's good news. We're going to get out early today. (laughs) You should know better. So first up, our weakness. Something we love talking about, right? Our weakness. The reason we can't pray perfect prayers is because of our weakness. Now listen. We love the promises of God when they promise us that God's going to come alongside and help our weaknesses, don't we? We do not love the promises of God so much when those promises require that we walk in weakness and not in strength. Come on, somebody. Who likes to admit that they're weak? Nobody. It goes against our very human nature. Nobody likes to admit that they need help. Nobody likes to admit that they're weak. But this is a gospel requirement. Before we can take the first step in the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and if anybody's telling you anything else, y'all, it's not the real gospel. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ requires weakness, not strength. And we get this twisted, especially in the church today. We'll get there. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. But if we hope for what we do not see, through perseverance we wait eagerly for it. That was what we ended on last week. Then, now, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. This is well documented through the entirety of Scripture. Human beings are weak. Can I get an amen? It started with Adam and Eve. It continues and will continue until the day Jesus comes home. Humans are weak. But here's the thing. In the ultimate twist, humans hate weakness. 
We hate it. We don't want to recognize it in ourselves. We want to get rid of it. We want to read books so that we can get rid of it. We want to do everything we can to strengthen areas and to get rid of all weaknesses. But God actually calls weakness a good thing. He says that we can't even start our journey with him unless we embrace this weakness within us. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the understanding of those who have understanding I will confound. Where is the wise person? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than mankind, and the weakness of God is stronger than mankind. Paul claims this and makes it personal when he writes his second letter to the Corinthian church. This is in 2 Corinthians 12.10 where Paul says, Therefore I delight in weaknesses weaknesses, plural, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties, in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is yet another teaching that we twist in the American church because we try to incorporate this leadership stuff that we get in the world into the church today right? Churches have staked their entire reputation on making the church the hub of leadership. But here's the problem. Anybody, go, I'm not advocating you go listen to leadership podcasts, but if you listen to leadership podcasts, what's the thing they tell you about weaknesses? You got to get rid of them, right? If you're weak in one area, you either got to find somebody to fill in that area, or you've got to work to get it so that you can level it out. That's what leadership says, correct? You know, if you're ultra alpha male leader or alpha female, I guess you can be too. But if you're ultra leader, you don't let anybody see your weaknesses. You can't let people question your authority. You can't let people question your power. And we get so drunk on this power that's not the gospel. Because God says, y'all, and, and look, we got the words of Paul here. You know, this, is, this irks me. You, you, you all know this. I've gotten on this soapbox too many times to count. We go back through and we look through the Bible. And, you know, we, we love to preach it on Sunday mornings about how God moved through Gideon. Gideon, who is the weakest of his tribe, and his tribe who is the weakest, right? God picks David, who's like not even thought of amongst his brothers by his own dad, could possibly be the king of Israel, right? God moves through the weak and the strong, and we love preaching it. 
But when it comes to living our lives, nope, we gotta get rid of all weakness. We can't show weakness, we gotta get rid of all weakness. This church is weak in this area, all right, we gotta hire this person because they fill in my weakness. And we treat God's power the same way, don't we? We treat God like he's a multivitamin. Come on, don't we? Well, I'm not getting enough iron in my diet, so I pop a supplement and then I can supplement. And that's what God is. I am great at this. I am so good at this. So I'm just gonna bring God along to supplement my weaknesses. And then when I need to move out in one of those weaknesses, then he, man, yeah, then. Guys, that's not what God calls us to do. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says to embrace weakness. And that requires us seeing that we are weak in everything. Y'all, I can get up here and preach in my own strength. I know how to do it. I took public speaking classes at BGSU. I know how to do it. Or I could get up here and I could preach by the power of the Holy Spirit living in me. Now tell me which one's going to change lives. Look, if I preach in Jeremy's strength, we could grow. We could get people in the pews. But it's not going to change lives. It's not going to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. So I have to look. I am a good speaker. I know this. If I were to sit up here and tell you guys, oh, I'm not that good. I'm not, I'm not a good. I know I'm good at it. God has given me a gift. But even that strength, y'all, I have to treat it as weakness. Because the second that strength becomes mine, who am I drawing people to? To whom am I drawing people? English teacher. Right? I'm drawing people to me. If I walk in my strength, I'm drawing people to me. But that's what we like in leadership culture, isn't it? Because I, as the CEO pastor, all of a sudden become irreplaceable. <clears throat> then all of a sudden, I can come up to Mark and Kurt and I can say, Hey guys, you see what I'm doing here? You see what I'm doing? I think we need to add a couple extra zeros to the end of these checks that I'm getting... Hmm? Right? Right? And that's the trouble that we get into. But see, church was never meant to be a business. This happened long, long, long time ago, right? The, the, the priests, they, they translated all of the biblical texts into Latin, and they kept all of the biblical text in Latin. They would, didn't even let lay people, the, the people, have copies of God's word because they might abuse it. So it's us, our job is the priests. We need, boy, that's job security, isn't it? Because if they got to keep coming back, and I'm, af I'm afraid too many churches are more worried about job security than they are about actually getting the word of God into people. Because the word of God, we've covered this, y'all. The word of God says you don't need a pastor to hear God's voice. You don't need me to tell you what God is saying to you. The Holy Spirit lives in you as much as it lives in me. The only thing holding you back is you. If you're not hearing his voice as much as you want to, ask him for more. That's all it takes. Now look, is it good to come to church on Sundays and be together? Is it good to learn? You know, I, I love C.S. Lewis talks about this, but he, he talks about how, you know, every individual hears God a little bit different. 
And so it's like, so when we look at God, it's like facets of a diamond. Like not everything is the same and every, every side of the diamond, there's a little bit different facet. And so when you look at it, the light reflects differently, that you see it a little bit differently. And so when we all come together, we see this image of God that's perfect. He, he illustrates this by talking about a group of friends that, that he had and one of their friends died. And, and after he died, Lewis thought, well, you know, okay, like, you know, we've mourned his death. We're, we're going to continue having these Bible studies. He said, but, you know, we, we will have more time to talk now. We should get to know each other better. But something he observed, which was just so spot on, is he said, when they went back to meet, it was never the same again. Because when that individual came to that group, there was another individual, he said, he said that individual who passed away could make this person laugh like no one else in the group could. And we never heard him laugh like that again. Look, I love preaching the word of God, y'all. And I really, really love it if you all love it. Because I get to keep doing it. <laughs> and I can't imagine ever not doing this. I love preaching. But y'all, we all need to share what God is telling us. We all need to help each other see because all of us see God a little different. All of us experience God a little bit differently, so we all bring unique perspectives, which means that we see God more clearly when we see him together. But that also means you can't sit quiet, right? If God's teaching you something, you gotta tell somebody about it. You gotta tell me about it. We gotta get rid of this idea that, oh, I'm, Pastor Jeremy, he, he preaches all these sermons. He probably knows all this already. Tell me. Tell me what God's speaking to you. Don't be intimidated because somebody's been walking with Jesus longer. I see Jesus so clearly through young Christians, through people who have just become Christians. You know what's great about young Christians? They haven't learned how to be a Christian yet. <laughs> right? They haven't learned how to be a Christian yet. Well, Christians don't say those words. Well, Christians don't do that. Christians don't ask for that prayer request. They haven't learned any of that nonsense. And so you get this raw God just talking to them. New Christians are great, y'all. We should get some more in here, don't you think? <laughs> Shameless plug. But y'all, we have got to embrace our weaknesses. See, we get in this dangerous territory where we try to share glory with God. And so when I'm strong, when it's my strengths driving things, I get to take a piece of that pie, right? I get to say, yeah, God, look what I did. Look at, look at this. Look at this ministry that I'm, I'm making here. But God says, I don't share my glory with anyone, right? So if we're trying to walk in our strength, we're walking a real thin line between self-worship, aren't we? And y'all, that's a dangerous thing. I read a book by a worship leader once, and he, he said that he fears with the worship industry the way that it is, the worship music industry. How there's you know, all the lights and the flashing, and he, he, he compared them to an adulterer. Because, you know, who, who is, who's the groom? Jesus, Right? So what do you call somebody who's trying to get people's attention away from the groom? Right? That's not a good thing. 
I never want to be in a position where I'm taking your attention off of Jesus Christ. He is your husband. He is the groom. He is your father. He is, it's all on him, right? And so we need to embrace weakness and walk in it. Now, that's weakness in general. But I want to point something out here because this is a very specific weakness that Paul's talking about. This is the 90 degrees Jesus took me on when I was studying for this. Because I've missed it every time. Now, you know, we've, we've talked about this a little bit here, but you know, in our Bibles now, we have the chapter numbers and even some of your Bibles, you get the fancy headings, right? So it'll break up different sections. And, and they're nice because it says, okay, you finished this section. Now this section is about to talk about this. And it gives you a heading, right? The issue with these headings is that, number one, they're not Holy Spirit inspired. So, so they're not perfect. They're not, you don't get to claim those as inerrant word of God material. But the other thing about these headings is sometimes they're placed in a situation where we break off the section in front and we don't connect it to the section below. And I worry that this is one of those sections because look at what Paul says when we look at this whole thing. He says, but if we hope for what we do not see through perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Now in the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We should see this, but we don't. We fly right through it. But when Paul says, now in the same way, what's the question we should ask? The same way as what? Right? Now, I don't know about you. Does, do you some of y'all have your hard copy Bible. Does your Bible have a heading between verse 25 and 26? Yours does not, Lisa? My, my Bible has, yours does, Janet? My has a heading between the two verses, which means it hits our dumb skulls and, and has us cut it off. And we never ask the question. Now in the same way as what? Which means verse 25 and 26 are connected. Correct? So, and, and probably more than just verse 25, but for our sakes, we've got verse 25. So what did we talk about last week? What did we talk about? What is the problem with our hope? What's the weakness in our hope? We hope for the wrong things. That's what we talked about last week. We hope for things of this world. When Jesus says the best is yet to come, we assume he's talking about, okay, my life is going to get better. Paul says, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. So what, what is Paul also saying about the weakness in our prayers? Why can't we pray the way that we should pray? Because we're focused on the wrong world, right? We're focused on the wrong life. Jesus says the second you sign up to be a Christian, the second you say, Jesus, I'm following you, Jesus says, your life is now hidden with me. Your life is now here. I am your real life. This other thing that you participate in, that's not your real life anymore. Yet, when we hope and when we pray, what are we praying for? Are we praying for this life to get better? 
Or are we praying, are we, are we you know, to, to use the familiar garden analogy, are we sowing seeds into the next life? Praying for things that are going to benefit us in life with Christ as opposed to life on this earth. Now look, if it does both, great, right? But where is the priority? Is the priority here on this earth or is the priority in heaven? Most Christians, when they pray, and look, (laughs) we're all in the same boat. We're all part of fallen humanity. We all have fleshly urges. But what has this entire series been about? This has been the sneaky right hook that I didn't see coming. I don't know if you all saw it coming, but I've never read Romans 8 and been hit with this before. Before this year, before I started to preach this. Every promise in Romans 8 is connected to Romans 7 where Paul says, leave the flesh, walk in the spirit. Every promise. And here it is again. Stop praying fleshly prayers and pray in the spirit. The majority of Christians pray prayers of convenience, don't we? I want my life to be more convenient. The majority of Christians pray prayers of comfort. I want my life to be more comfortable. We pray prayers for our likes and dislikes. Pray prayers for the desires of our hearts, right? King David said that. I'm allowed to pray for the desires of my heart. (laughs) We don't have time for that sermon today. But are, are the desires of our heart God's desires? Because they should be, shouldn't they? We know this. We know this. We are just so bad at walking in it. It's, it's not, I mean, when you look at this world, it's, this is what we talked about last week, it's that delayed gratification. It's not fun to walk in those prayers, right? Yes, what a, what a fantastically fun prayer. Jesus, send any suffering it takes to make me completely yours. Nobody wants to pray that. If you want to pray that, you're a liar. Nobody wants to pray prayers like that. But if we pray as if our primary focus is life on this earth, we've missed the mark entirely. We've missed it. And here's the thing. If we are praying, again, we go back to the garden analogy, sowing seeds. If we're praying with our focus for life on this earth, life on this earth is the flesh. We're all in agreement on that. God calls life on this earth the flesh. So if we're sowing seeds of the flesh, guys, this is worse than weakness because the Bible calls that death, doesn't it? In your prayer life, are you sowing seeds of death? Are you sowing the seeds of the Spirit? Because God has given us the ability to pray perfect prayers. But we've got to pay attention. 
We've got to live surrendered. Now, I talked about this a little bit Wednesday when I talked about fasting. Because, you know, prayer and fasting, they go hand in hand. And we've got to be a little careful when we talk about fasting because you can actually fast for the wrong reasons. You can pray for the wrong reasons. I actually had, did a fast once. I was doing a Daniel fast. It was a 21 day, and I don't, I don't even remember how many days I was in it, but God told me very specifically in the middle of the fast, Jeremy, stop. Your, your motives are all goofed up on this fast. You're fasting for the wrong thing. This is a worldly thing you're fasting for. You need to stop. And I stopped. I wasn't fasting with the right motives because I was fasting for a worldly thing. I was sowing seeds of the flesh when he wants us to sow seeds of the Spirit. Now, all that said, we talked about this two weeks ago. We're God's children, right? You know one thing that Promise asks me for almost every year for her birthday? A unicorn. She really wants a unicorn for her birthday. For Christmas, we got her a big stuffed one. She was disappointed because it's not real. I, I don't blame her. It's not real. But here's the thing. I tell you that story with a smile on my face, don't I? Because I love it when my daughter comes up to me and thinks that her dad can get her a real-life unicorn for her birthday. God's not mad at us when we come to him with our worldly prayer requests, right? God's a loving father, way more loving than I am. He loves my children. He loves you all way more than I love my children, way more than I love you all. He loves it when you come to him. And so it's not wrong to pray these prayers. But, it's a big old but here, <laughs> you got to be careful. Y'all, I, I have dear friends. I have people that I know, I'm sure you have people that you know, who have given up on God entirely, who have walked away from the faith because God has not answered a prayer the way they wanted. Right? Very, very common. When you break it down, well, I, don't, I just don't believe that God's loving. And you know, if you really get into the meat and potatoes of it, I don't believe he's loving because he, he didn't answer this prayer. He let my grandma die. And, and I, I just cannot believe in him anymore. Because he didn't answer a prayer that we wanted answered. And I, I get it. You know, I've chronicled this well with you all. Jan and I have walked through seasons of life where God's done some things that were just like, what are you doing? And it does. It rocks you. And if you don't have that anchor to cling to, it, I understand why people would walk away. I get it. Unfortunately, a lot of times in the church when people express those doubts and those fears and those angers, we push them away. We cause even more hurt. You can't question God. You've got to have faith. You know, we throw Bible verses at them and bludgeon them over the head with Scripture. And it just drives them even further away instead of just listening and saying, I get it. I understand. But the reality is we serve a loving God. And so we've got to trust. This is what we talked about last week with hope. We have got to trust, to hold out hope that God knows what he's doing. That there is a reason that God has answered a prayer the way that he has and even though we don't like it, you don't have to like it. There's nothing in the Bible that says you must like all of the ways God answers your prayer. It doesn't say that. But even if we don't like it right now, we have to trust 
God is good, God loves me, and God has the best for me. And so whatever the answer was, I'm going to choose to trust that this was the right move. I can't see it right now, but that this was the right move. And if we're willing, God has offered us the opportunity to pray perfect prayers. It just looks a little different. It says this, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And I want to pause real quick here. I have seen and heard teachings on this passage that they link this to speaking in tongues. And then we get into the really weird territory where everybody seems to be divided on, on, you know, proper operations on praying in tongues and water tongues and all of that crazy stuff. Now, I am a strong advocate for praying in tongues. I believe in it. I have done it. I do it. All for it. This is not a teaching on tongues. All right? It's a completely different Greek word. So if you're ever reading a book or you're listening to a sermon and they talk about tongues in this, stop listening and go somewhere else because they don't know what they're talking about. But the, the Greek word that's, that's used or translated tongues, you can find in Mark 16, Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Those are all passages where it talks about speaking in tongues. And the Greek word there is glousa. That's the Greek word for tongues. And there's a bunch of debate on what that actually means. That's a sermon for another day that we'll get into. Some people think that it means God gives you the ability to speak another earthly language that exists. So like if I travel to Spain... I can speak Spanish perfectly and the people there understand me. Other people believe that it's a supernatural language that is just heavenly and then God does the interpreting. We're not going to get into that today. I have my beliefs. You have your beliefs, I'm sure. Everybody has. But we're not going to talk about that today. The Greek word here, and I love this, stenagmos. That's the Greek word for this. And it literally means to groan or to sigh indescribable to groan or to sigh indescribable. We got to remember to keep the main thing the main thing in all of this because we love to make it about the little things. Well, what does that groan sound like? So does that mean when I'm praying for somebody, I just... Some people do that, y'all. I've been prayed over by people who do that. They don't know what to pray and they just moan over me. Okay. But what's the main thing? What's the main thing here? The promise, whether it is tongues, whether it is groans, whether it is moans, whatever it is, whatever the Spirit decides to do, the promise is that the Spirit will pray for us. And not just when we don't know what to pray. That's the other teaching that gets spun on this one a lot. Well, when you don't know what to pray. No, look at what Paul says. Now, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. When we do not know, whoops, not what it says. Is it? For we do not know what to pray. 
Meaning, you never know what to pray. Do you? Y'all, embrace your weakness. You don't know what to pray. Paul is saying, you don't know what to pray. But God does. The Holy Spirit does. And knucklehead, he's living inside of you. So why don't you ask him what to pray? It makes too much sense, doesn't it? God will pray for us because God knows his perfect will. If we let him, the Holy Spirit will search our hearts. He'll sift through your prayer requests. He'll sort out the selfish prayers from the selfless prayers. Guess which one Jesus wants you to pray? Selfless prayers. He'll throw away the prayer requests that are anchored in the things of this world. The ones that you got your motives all goofed up on. Oh, I just want that brand new car because then the neighbors would be so jealous of me. and I, It's going to get tossed, y'all. You know, there are a lot of prayers that, that you know, when we, when we look at these prayers in this life, I've read some books that just make my stomach turn because of what they advocate praying for. You know, we, we prayed for this transportation and God gave us a brand new private jet. Are you kidding me, man? Sometimes I think those are more curses than they are blessings because it just solidifies your wrong praying even more. But God knows perfectly. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's the only one who knows the mind of Christ. Isn't he? The Holy Spirit knows God's will perfectly. Knows God's mind perfectly. And if we let him, he'll pray through us. Which means that we, all of a sudden, can have the mind of Christ. We all of a sudden can pray the prayers of Christ. And all of a sudden, Jeremy Metzger is not going to the Father and asking for my will to be done. I'm going to the Father and I'm saying through the Holy Spirit, God, your will be done. And that's the prayer, right? When I pray God's will, and not mine, I get an even better promise. An even better promise than just that God will pray for me. Because as soon as I start praying God's will, look at what we get to cling to. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, this is the other reason why it's okay to pray imperfect prayers. Because God is going to work it out. God is going to weave it all together. And y'all, it's not just going to be good. Right? It's not just going to be like, oh yeah, I guess that worked out. You know, sometimes that happens. I do lots of home improvement projects where it's like, eh, all right, I guess that worked. <laughs> Couldn't really tell you how I fixed it, but it's working now. Meanwhile, behind the 
wall there's a dripping leak that's causing mold and destroying my house slowly but hey i don't see it so who cares god doesn't do that y'all god works all things to the best god's plan a is the best and everyone who loves him and who is called according to his purpose right this promise look we're going to talk about this next week This promise does not count if Jeremy Allen Metzger is walking according to my purpose. Well, God, I'd really like to be a famous country music singer, so I'm going to walk according to that purpose. God has other plans, Jeremy. But if we walk according to his purpose, the promise is that God causes all things to work together for good. Now, Some of you are sitting there, some of you who know me, and you're thinking, Pastor Jeremy, you missed it. Come on now. I'm never going to pass up an opportunity to preach on Mark 14, 36. (laughs) It's my favorite passage in the Bible. It's like all of my computer passwords. So (laughs) you ever need to break into anything here at the Gospel House, you know the password. Mark 14, 36. Guys, cannot stress this enough. My father-in-law taught this to me, Mark 14, 36. He calls it the most powerful prayer in the Bible. And I agree. Because this is the prayer that got Jesus to the cross. Mark 46, we read about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. Jesus is about to be betrayed into the hands of the men who will crucify him on the cross for yours and for my sin. And Jesus knows without question what's about to happen. Gospel of Luke tells us that in the same Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is praying this exact prayer, that he is so distraught, that he is so stressed, he's sweating drops of blood. Jesus knew what was about to happen. And the prayer that Jesus prayed in that moment, guys, I think this is probably one of the most human moments of Jesus. Right? You read the Gospels and my jaw always just drops at some of the things Jesus said because his wisdom was just so far beyond. And it's just like, oh my goodness. And I, like, it's, you read them and it's just like, oh, I love this guy. <laughs> like, this is my Savior. But then you read this and it's the first time we ever see Jesus says, God, I don't know about this. There's that moment, right? That really, really real moment where Jesus says, and y'all, I've been there. You're kidding yourself if you haven't been. But where you say, God, I don't know if I can do this. God, this is too much. Are you sure? And in the midst of that, Jesus says, but God, not my will. Not my will, but yours be done. Says, Abba, Father, anything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. God, I don't want to do this. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. I don't know about you all, but I am not strong enough to pray that prayer on my own. There has never been a moment in my life, good moments, sure, right? 
but there has never been a moment in the midst of my suffering when I have been able to throw my hands up without the help of the Holy Spirit, without my complete surrender to the Holy Spirit, to throw my hands up and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. I need the Holy Spirit to pray that perfect prayer. It is a scary prayer because it requires you giving up all control over your life. You have got to give God all control of your life. And real Christians, y'all, see that and they know that. They see, God, you could literally ask anything of me. God could ask anything of us, y'all. We have got to give him that control because Jesus deserves nothing less. But that makes this a scary prayer. The things that God might ask you to do. The things he's going to ask you to give up. The people he's going to ask you to leave. But is God worth it? Jesus knew the answer to that question. Jesus knew his Father. And he knew that his Father was good. So when he prayed that prayer, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. He knew that he was laying his life into the hands of his Father who was capable of anything. If we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, we have to pray the way that he prayed. Don't we? You know, Jesus' disciples on earth earlier, much, much earlier in the Gospels, they asked him, Jesus, John's disciples taught him how to pray. You teach us how to pray. And Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But I think this one's right there with it, y'all. I mean, it's in the Lord's Prayer too, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Same thing. God's will can't be done if you insist on your will being done as well. That's, again, it's not a co-thing. It's one will or the other. But this prayer, God, not my will, but yours be done. This is the prayer. And it's not just situational. It's not just when things are hard. Y'all, if we're paying attention, this is the prayer we pray even when everything's great. This is the prayer we pray before we pray. When your friend calls and says they have a prayer request and they need you to pray for them, before you pray, God, not my will, God, not my prayer, but yours. And you listen to what the Holy Spirit tells you to pray. And guess what? If the Holy Spirit doesn't tell you what to pray, then you groan indescribable. <laughs> Right? Or you just sit there in silence. But let the Holy Spirit pray His perfect prayers. So we're going to do our prayer time at the end of service today. We've got a couple people who are on the prayer team uh, who are signed up to come up front. They can come up front, but, but really, y'all, I want to pray and if you need to come up front for prayer, you can come up front for prayer. I'm going to warn you, we're talking about letting the Holy Spirit pray. 
So we're going to pray the way the Holy Spirit tells us to pray. So even if it's not coming up front, if you feel someone on your heart to pray for today, go to that person and pray. And pray what the Holy Spirit tells you to pray. And if the Holy Spirit tells you to just go to the person, then just go to the person and sit with them. Moan indescribable if that's what it takes. Whatever the Spirit is telling you to do, there it is. I was supposed to push that a little harder because it was supposed to be a real powerful moment, but I missed my cue. So whatever the Holy Spirit is telling you to pray, y'all, I've told you this before, I don't want anyone to pray for me anything other than God's perfect will. Right? There have been, I've, I've really offended people before because there have been rough seasons I've walked through and people have said, hey, can we get together and, and pray for you? And I've told them, no. I don't, I don't want man's prayers today. I, you can pray for me, but I want to be by myself and I want to hear what God's speaking to me. I don't want to hear any other voices right now because that's what God's told me to do and I've really burned some bridges that way. Whoops. But if it's in obedience to the Spirit, then those are bridges that were meant to be burned anyway. But y'all, nothing less than perfect prayers. Which means, before we pray, God, what do you want me to pray? Holy Spirit, what do you want to pray through me? And then say only what you hear him saying. Do only what you see him doing. Right? Let's pray perfect prayers. So we'll take some time right now to do that. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.